That's one of the things that has changed so much over the years has been that from an entrepreneurial journey is that every you are going to have times where you're going to fail and it's okay when that happens you just you basically you learn from that and you pick yourself back up and, and adjust the the course that you're on but you continue to push forward I had a business owner that reached out to me and the challenges that they were having was the he said as soon as you walked in the door of our building we knew that you could feel the tension when you opened the door life is all about decisions and with every decision you know there's going to be a, an, an occurrence the one thing if i could go back and do things a little bit differently would be is to be able to have learned some of those mistakes as far as the impact of taking risks i use that that what i would call that failure um, i use that as a learning opportunity and be able to again communicate that to my clients We'd like to thank our sponsor, Valio Verdi, for making today's podcast possible. But more on that later in the podcast, because in our sixth episode, we are thrilled to have Chuck Cooper, founder and president of Whitewater Consulting. Chuck is also an entrepreneur, author of Unprecedented, his majorly globally recognized book, and he's a figure of leadership. We'll dive into his journey, uncovering the pivotal moments that set him on the path to success and following his heart. So, if you're ready to be inspired and learn from one of the best, stay tuned for our interview with our special guest, only on Before Success. Hello, everyone. Thank you very much for tuning in to today's Before Success episode, where we will, where we interview successful individuals that are changing the world. Yes, indeed, as Mal has said, welcome everyone to our Six Before Success podcast. And Chuck Cooper, welcome and thank you so much for being a part of a, a guest on Before Success. I am delighted to be here and have been looking forward to this conversation all week. Well, this is great to hear. We thank you very much for being here. It is, uh, it is great. Thank you very much. Now I will uh, kick off a podcast by asking you the a pretty standard question that we ask uh, at the beginning for every podcast. Can you present yourself, tell a bit about your journey, your companies, who you are? Absolutely. So I'll try to make a long story short. Um, we have time. We have time. Currently, oh, okay, very good. So um, currently, uh, I am the founder and president of a company called Whitewater Consulting. We are a business consulting practice that specializes in HR for small and mid-sized companies. We work with uh, companies that are really um, started off with just located in, in North Carolina, which is where I live. Uh, but because when COVID hit, um, it really expanded our territory. And now we have uh, clients that are with us from, uh, from California to New York for Texas to Cal or from Texas to Florida and we're I think we've got clients right now in about 28 different states but my journey as an entrepreneur and really the this journey to success really began many years ago and I grew up in a uh, family-owned business uh, in the agriculture industry in Illinois and uh, was a part it was actually a third generation in that business and after coming out of college um, I was in, involved in a day-to-day -day activity with the company for about two years, and then we sold that business. Um, at, at that time, 
um, I st stepped out um, on my own and went in with some other owners, and we purchased a manufacturing business um, in the in the state of Illinois as well. And that was really a once in a lifetime opportunity. The business was had been very successful. It continued to to operate and to be very very successful. And honestly, at that point in time, I was probably in my late twenties. And I really don't think that I was really prepared to really uh, understand and also appreciate the success that came from that business. And because of that, um, there, I think I let probably some of the success and some of the ego that came from that, probably pride is a better word, uh, kind of cloud my judgment. And we made some really, really poor decisions from a financial perspective that put us in a place where we ended up selling the company to get out from underneath the debt that was created. And so it was really, you know, I went from being on top of the mountain, a once in a lifetime opportunity and fell from the mountaintop into the valley. And it was during that time where I really started to begin to put the pieces together on what I wanted my next climb to be. And also it helped me to define what success was going to look like for me personally. And so from there, um, you know, we've, we continue to be involved at the, at the ownership level in six different businesses along the way. I've also worked for some companies um, here in, uh, you know, in, from a business development perspective, uh, helping organizations to grow. And it's been through that that has really kind of led me to starting Whitewater Consulting, which I started in 2019. And that's ultimately a roll up of every of all the different types of work that I've done um, probably over the last 25 years. So it's really given me an opportunity in this chapter of life to really be able to kind of live out my real purpose and also to be able to really, um, I guess, really be able to understand and appreciate the joy and the fulfillment that comes from serving and supporting my clients, which are small and mid-sized business owners. Right. What type of clients do you attract? That's really a great question. So most of my companies that I work with today are, are, are companies that have, from an employee headcount perspective, probably somewhere between 10 employees up to about 500 employees. Our real sweet spot where the majority of our companies are, are probably size-wise from about 20 employees to 150 employees. Mm -hmm. and we really, quite honestly, Addison, we work with companies that are um, in all different industries. So we're the best way to describe what we do is we are industry agnostic. Uh, but what we really focus in on is we, we are looking for clients where they're, the business owner and their leadership teams are really focused on, the, one is on the profitability of the organization, but they also are focused on and, and understand the value of the people within the organization. So we're, we, we try to help our clients balance those two things out so that we can help them create long-term sustainable success for the future. Okay. Um, I was listening to your, to your first uh, presentation and you said the word purpose and that gets me to a very important point where I wanted to ask you, what is 
your mission and what is your purpose so from a from life? a business uh, you know with whitewater consulting our real purpose and our mission is really to be able to serve and to support our business owners but it, if you dig down just a little bit below that that overarching thresh mesh that really overarching message um, we really are trying to help our clients have clarity and peace of mind when it comes to making decisions within their company from an HR perspective. And so that's really kind of what the, the purpose of the organization is. My personal purpose, though, is really, I believe that, that the entrepreneurs and small business owners in the United States are some of the greatest heroes that we have within our country because they actually employ approximately 60% of all the U.S. jobs today. And so they are really ultimately their success is really going to help determine the success that we have, you know, within our country and from our economy. So I, the, for entrepreneurs to be able to step out and to be able to take that risk of starting a business and work, you know, committing themselves for the long term um, and risking everything that they've got. Um, I think there's some real value and some real reward that comes from that. And so I applaud um, people that want to take that step out in faith and, and to be, try to build a business. Gotcha. Um, and you also saw that you've written a book called Unprecedented. Um, before we get more into your business, I'd like to discuss about the book you've written, Unprecedented. What inspired you to write Unprecedented? Um, like you building a multi-generational business on trust, respect, um, and valuing people. And what key messages do you hope people take away from it? So I think the first of all, I, the reason that I chose to write the book was first of all, it, it was I wrote it during the time when COVID was had had a major impact of, around the world, um, and so it changed the way that we we lived our lives through that period. And so ultimately, it gave me a lot more time to be able to actually begin to write and to put the book together. And the reason that I wanted to write it was because. I, as one that has grown up in a family-owned business, I saw the way that leadership worked with the employees and the relationships that got formed, the trust that was there at that time. And I've watched over the years, really, that trust in, in a lot of organizations erode between leadership and employees. And so what I wanted to be able to do was to put this book together. To One is to write it to entrepreneurs and to small business owners, encouraging them to be willing to step out and to start that business. I've talked to a lot of people over the years where they had great ideas. They were just afraid to take that next step and to actually launch. And so as the years went by and they looked back on their life, a lot mm -hmm. of them really, one of their greatest regrets was I didn't take the opportunity when I had it to actually to try to launch, regardless of whether it would have been successful or not, it was gonna be okay. I just wanted, I should have, I should have, taken that step and 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 started my business. And so with the book, I wanted to encourage that next generation of entrepreneurs to step out and to do that, but to be able to do it in a way that you can manage your risk and also to really help them understand the importance of leadership um, and the way that we, that we need to be able to lead our teams post-COVID, focusing in on communication, 
um, as well as to developing of company culture and implementing HR best practices. So those are the key messages within the book. And again, it's a really, it's an easy read. I've tried to weave a lot of my personal story through that book and, and some of my clients' stories through it as well to help illustrate the impact that, um, that you know, having a consultant or a coach or a mentor around you, the value that they bring is really, really critical to the success of most companies. Mm. Mm. Wow. Right. That's uh, that's really interesting. I'm sure your book is fascinating. Um, and and you you are a consultant. You help uh, companies uh, through HR with leadership. That's what you were saying. And it is true leadership. Uh, is such an important part of a, of a company. And like you said, it is really important that we encourage people to take the first step in creating companies. And it's true that entrepreneurs are, are heroes. I believe it, it, people should should follow their values and follow their dreams. Um, and leadership, I wanted to know, how do you help uh, not only with leadership and communication, a company where you get in to grow the company and improve the culture in the company. How do you do that? How, what's your leadership technique? So it's really what it comes back to. Every One of the great changes we've seen since COVID has been the fact that we used to try to lead our teams with a one-size-fits-all model. And I think that what we realized coming through COVID was we're all – uh, we all have are made differently. We all have different preferences. Um, so we have to really get to know our people on our team to be able to lead them and manage them effectively. And so, and especially in today's world where in many organizations, you have a multi-generational workforce. So you have everybody from the Gen Z all the way to the essentially to the baby boomers. And so every different generation has grown up in a different world where their perspectives were formed based on what their experiences were and what the you know kind of what the, how they saw the world. And so we have to be able to understand that there are differences between those generations, but we also have to recognize that deep down there are some really com some core uh, beliefs and some core desires that we all have. And some of those desires are we all want to know that we are valued as people, we all want to rec be recognized for the work that we do. We all want to understand the importance of being respected and being heard. And so I think that as leaders, we have to, as we take a step back from how we lead, the focus has to be back on our people and understanding who they are, what their needs are, and to be able to lead them based on you know, um, a, an alignment really with the values that we have, as well as the personal and the corporate mission uh, to help make sure that we are all working toward that same vision for the company. Right. Because I really see that you really embrace values and valuing people and all and building in um, multi-generation businesses. Um, with your book that you have, could you share like a specific um, example of these principles uh, led to significant like positive changes? Absolutely. So one of the uh, one of the stories that I use often to illustrate that is I had a business owner that reached out to me 
a couple of years ago, and they had, um, you know, they have about 80 employees. They have a multi-generational workforce. And the challenges that they were having was the, he said, as soon as you walked in the door of our building, we knew that you could feel the tension when you opened the door. We had high turnover. Um, we had, even within our C-suite, we had people that were leaving on average of about once every eight months. And we could not, we were not able to hire people uh, simply because of the cu the culture of our company. And so by w coming in um, as a consultant, we did some what we call discovery meetings or really did some interviews with the, the entire C-suite, with their managers, their frontline employees, and then ultimately with some of their clients to get a holistic look at what was really happening within the organization. And by doing that, it, it was able to, we were able to identify some gaps within the organization, partially um, had to do with communication and, and particularly within the managers. Um, a lot of times they were, they were really a barrier to the communication, getting to the decision maker. Um, so we had to have some, you know, provide some training in those areas, but the real the real impact that came from this was within the multi-generations. If you went to a couple of their departments, they had situations where the younger employees were trying to bring new ideas and some uh, some suggestions on how to increase efficiency and effectiveness, and they were being shut down immediately by their manager because that was not the way that the company had been run for for you know decades, and so when that happened the relationship between the younger generation and the older generation, there became barriers that went up, meaning that communication was not good. Um, and so they were not working, in many cases, they were actually working against each other. And so we were able to come in through some doing some surveys where we were able to identify some areas of interest that every employee had outside of work. And then we took those survey results and began to form groups and set up activities for them to go and to do together out again, once again, outside of work. And what happened was we had a span of baby boomers all the way to Gen Z that were in some cases, they were very, very, they had uh, a lot of uh, fans of uh, college football or college sports, and they were on. The, they were rooting for the same teams, and so when that happened, all of a sudden, it really didn't matter whether you were twenty or and versus someone that was sixty. They were pulling for the same team, and so relationships got formed. When those relationships began to form, communication began to improve, and that also then flowed into the, their relationships at work. And over a um, about a, a nine month period, the business owner began to give their employees some room during the week to be able to have some activities to continue these. Um, this opportunity to be able to build relationships and continue to promote that. And when they did over that one year period, they all of a sudden their workforce solidified, their culture was greatly improved as well as the productivity from their teams improved. And what really was interesting was their greatest source of new employees was their workforce. Their employees were actually recommending to their friends and family that they needed to come to work for this company. So it changed, you know, it changed everything about the operations and the overall success the company had. Yeah, that is really incredible how you, how you managed to 
to to make such a big change in the company just yeah, is. valuing mm. people it's true such an important thing i i wanted to get back to one of your previous um previous statements um you you were talking about a, a bit about uh, mentorship connecting it to cons consulting and i wanted to ask you the what is the importance of men mentorship may it be in business but also in your professional life the importance of mentorship so i think when it comes to our personal life as well as the life of an entrepreneur neither one of those are really meant to be done alone um, and I think that uh, the mentorship can really provide a great opportunity in many cases for a, a maybe a junior person or a younger person to be able to connect with someone that has got more life experience so that they can talk about things that have worked in their life as well as the mistakes that have been made. Um, and so I think that there's just great uh, wisdom in being able to have that, having a mentor or a coach with you, uh, again, personally and professionally. But I think the other thing is today and with our world, the way it is because of the younger generation and the fact that they are so gifted with technology and just have bringing a different perspective and different energy. There's what I call an opportunity for reverse mentoring, meaning that the younger generation can teach the older generation a great deal about life and again about technology and how to communicate very effectively for the young, with the younger people. And so I think there's opportunities there to be able to bridge that gap. Right. Um, and you talk about uh, like how it's ever changing the landscape. Um, as a HR consultant, as you are, we understand that small and mid-sized companies face ever unique challenges, like you were saying, when it comes to HR compliances. With an ever-changing landscape of employment laws and regulation, how do you approach tailoring HR compliance solution to each client's need? Yeah, I think that, I mean, in many cases, Addison, I think you have to, um, when it comes to HR compliance, particularly if, uh, in the U.S., I think that you, all companies have to, depending, I mean, if, you're, if you take two companies, they're the same size, same industry, located in the same state, they're going to have to comply with the same set of laws and regulations. Uh, where we have seen challenges oftentimes is leadership sometimes will take it what I call a very reactive mindset having they will have a very reactive mindset so they will not really deal with any of the changes uh, to the laws until something happens and the, on the flip side of that you have the business owners that are very proactive so they are staying on top of the changes that are happening at the state level and also at the federal level and they're going ahead and implementing policies and procedures around that on a proactive basis so that you know if they do get audited or if something happens they know that they've mitigated that risk and so i think that um having an audit essentially having an HR audit done about once every three years is definitely advisable. And I think that it, particularly since COVID and since 2020, because of all the changes that have happened from a regulatory standpoint, um, if you have not done an audit since then, I highly encourage you know, entrepreneurs and small businesses to take advantage and do that. So is it more recommended or is it um, mandatory? 
Like, because, because in some parts of the country, oh, sorry, of the world, sorry. Um, I know that some places, some countries, actually, it's mandatory compared to some. Yeah, I think that in the U.S. anyway, it is, uh, it's, it is basically the business owner and their team have the choice to make as to when those audits are done and if they are. And, and then ultimately what they want to do as far as do they want to implement the policies and procedures to to bring their company into compliance. And, and I will tell you that if from a company standpoint, if I have a client that is not willing to you know, take those steps to bring themselves into compliance, that is not a good fit for, you know, for the work that I do. I wanted to, to get back to a bit for beginning when you were talking more about yourself, I would like to, to, for you to develop and, and say how your childhood, um, impacted your life and, and your choices in life. And also tell us about the one person that shaped you and who you are. So it was really interesting. Whenever I was, uh, if I go back to my early days. So again, I grew up in a in a family owned business with a within a community of about twelve hundred people. So it was a very very small town that I was a part of, um, and you know, there was opportunities there to be able to work if you wanted to be in the agriculture industry without question. However, my dad, who grew up on a farm, uh, decided that whenever his two boys, myself and my brother, were about fifth and sixth grade, he decided we needed a project to keep us busy and to teach us some lessons about life. And during that time, uh, we we had, uh, we one year we traveled for Christmas. We we purchased four dogs. They were English pointers, so they were hunting dogs. And so the the intent was we would just have four dogs and then maybe raise a couple of litters of puppies and sell those puppies and and have a really small business. But it would teach us the work ethic. It would teach us responsibility. Teach us how to handle money. Those kinds of things. But what actually happened was from the time that we started the business until I graduated college, uh, that business got built up to where we were raising and selling about 250 dogs per year. And we had a kennel that we had operated that had about another 150 dogs that we had on that we had to take care of every day. Uh, and so that that particular business taught me a great deal, not about not only about work ethic, but about handling money, how to, what it meant to go into debt in certain situations, how to deal with people and how to sell and how to be able to treat people re with respect. And so there was just a lot of great life lessons that came from that business. The one thing that that business didn't teach me, nor did my the business family owned business that I was a part of, it really did not teach me the understanding of how to manage risk. And so I was whenever I got through college and, and start to went out on my own, I, I really felt like, you know, if to be successful, you had to really take a lot of risk. And it was almost to this, from my mind, it was almost like I needed to go to Vegas, I need to roll the dice. And if it mm -hmm. can't, hopefully it came up for, for what I needed. And if it didn't come up for what I needed, it was going to be a disaster. And so it was either you either hit the home run or you struck out mm -hmm. and there was no in between. And that was the way that I operated until 
I, I had that fall from the mountaintop. And it's, that's really, I mean, whatever that, that particular moment was a life defining moment for me. And as much as I hated to go through that, it was absolutely the best thing that could have happened because it, it caused me to, while I was in that valley, and I use this illustration all the time, when you think about the mountaintops, you can absolutely, the, the views up there are absolutely amazing. They're breathtaking, uh, but there's not a lot that grows on top of the mountains where your food and your water and your shelter and everything the, where life is taking place is in the valley. And so I needed to go into the valley to really figure out who I, who I was as a person, what kind of values do I want to live my life by and what's my real purpose. And it was during that six months while I was in that valley that I figured out a lot of those key pieces on how I, on how I would do my next climb to success. But in addition to that, I reached out to about three different men to help come alongside me to really work as uh, as a coach or an accountability partner. And what they allowed what they allowed me to do was to be able to set forth on my next climb and to be able to stay in between the the ditches or stay you know stay away from the the guardrails um, and, and from a personal and a professional life. And so it really kept me safe and secure. And from that, um, it you know, even though I made some mistakes along that way, it it wasn't it wasn't as catastrophic. So I was able to recover from those mistakes and continue to move forward much easier. Right, because it's so important. Like you're saying, like your father was the individual that taught you up, and he also taught you the most important thing about entrepreneurship: that risk and failure is all part of the journey, and that if you don't implement yourself of risk and failure at a young age, you're going to learn the hard way later on in life. So, would you agree with me in saying your father was the one? Um, was the one individual that really mainly shaped you or is it like, for example, your mother or. No, there, there's no question. It was definitely my father that shaped a, I mean, a lot of me. He pushed you to create your, your business at a young age already to learn. Correct. Correct. And so it, it allowed me, the one thing, if I could go back and do things a little bit differently would be is to be able to have learned some of those mistakes as far as the impact of taking risk to have been able to have had that failure whenever I was at home before and not to have it at the same level, same degree as what I actually experienced. But again, it was, it was as difficult of a chapter of life to go through as it was. It was absolutely the greatest learning experience that I've had. And I've been able to share that story with my clients and with other people that I've mentored along the way. So I use that, that, what I would call that failure. Um, I use that as a learning opportunity and be able to again communicate that to my clients so that we, as we're helping them mitigate the risk of, of operating their business, they need, they can, it's okay. They can learn from my mistakes. They don't have to go out and recreate theirs. I found this, I found this really interesting about, about your dad pushing you to, to create uh, already something at a young age, because I mean, it's when you want to be, good at something you just gotta start at the youngest age and like you were saying it this business of yours did not really teach you teach you about risk reward risk management and this is something with Edison that we value a, a lot uh, risk reward risk management as we are as we both invest and trade uh, um, equities and and it is such an important thing 
to manage your risk um, well could you develop more about how this is such an important part of your business and also your personal life actually in everything yeah, I think that, I mean, again, whenever, you know, whenever I was growing up, uh, the idea of failing or being a failure, failing specifically, um, it almost had the, the connection that you were a failure. And I think that that's one of the things that has changed so much over the years has been that from an entrepreneurial journey is that every, you are going to have times where you're going to fail. And it's okay when that happens, you just, you basically, you learn from that and you pick yourself back up and, and adjust the the course that you're on, but you continue to push forward. And I think that, I, I think that because of that, when that happened, uh, when I look back on my own personal situation, it made me understand the importance and the impact that that risk can have. And so, you know, in the early on, on a scale of one to 10, I was definitely one that if it was a risk was a 10, that's where I lived was between a nine and a 10. Today, you know, and, and on this second climb that I've had, I probably have really looked at risk and, and, and have sought counsel on situations where that risk level was probably like a six or a seven. Um, and there's been times where they've given me the green light to go ahead and press forward with that. And, but there's been other times where they're, you know, the, the feedback that I've gotten has been, you know, we need to pull back here and probably not take this step at this point. So the, it's, there's great learning opportunities, but again, So it's, uh, some are going to be That's positive, so some are going to be negative. It is. That is so true. And I completely agree with that. Um, I'd like to, we've done uh, the first major part. I would like to come back to the present. Um, now, your business, it has a main thing. Could you explain what is a PEO and an ASO? So those are two acronyms that we use in the HR world. The PEO is, stands for a professional employer organization. And, and, and what that is, um, it is basically a, a company. And in the, in the U.S., there are companies like Paychecks and ADP, which are known for the, to be payroll companies, mm -hmm. but they also have another division mm -hmm. within their their business, which is a PEO. And what that they do is they actually mm -hmm. they work with their clients. So it forms a the PEO forms a third party to the relationship between the employer and the employee. So from a statutory standpoint, the employees are working for the PEO. So they're being paid, their payroll is being paid underneath the PEO's federal identification number. And what this does, it allows the PEO to be able to pool all of their clients in the U.S. into one, essentially into one basket so that they can use their economies of scale to work with the healthcare carriers to negotiate a better rate for their people because they have instead of having a company of 10 employees they have a company you know when they pool everybody together of say two hundred thousand people so it helps the small business owner to be able to control their cost 
um, on something that is really a, a pretty significant cost to them being healthcare and employee benefits, as well as it helps them to mitigate the liability of being an employer. Because again, the PEO is taking on some of that liability as well. The ASO model is a little bit different because there is not that co-employment relationship, but is essentially the leadership of a small business saying that we want to bring outside resources in to be able to help us in the area of HR. And sometimes that can be kind of the position of a fractional HR manager. Um, and today, whenever mm -hmm. what happens, Addison, when we look at HR today, a lot of what has happened in the past has been really task driven, meaning it's, you know, it's primarily payroll, it's benefits, it's benefits administration, it's um, workforce management, mm -hmm. those kinds of things. So it's very, very task focused. As we look to the future of work, mm -hmm. it's more about becoming much more strategic and, and developing strategy on how we're going to move the organization forward with our people. So we have to either go out and hire those additional resources or we can use the ASO model to identify somebody that's out there that will come in and work you know, on a fractional basis to help our organization in that area. And oftentimes, whenever I help an organization create the ASO model, it's made up of an HR technology platform, a benefits broker, and then another broker that handles the mm -hmm. workers comp for the company and then also an HR specialist. So that's ultimately creating an, an HR team around the uh, company to help them to be able to uh, put in place the policies and procedures and, and all their HR programs to move the company forward. Right. And what made you choose consulting over your standard normal, like um, complaining to the to complaining to you about the boss and about colleagues. Yeah, I think that, you know, I, I obviously I've lived in that world uh, from time to time. So I've, and that, that was not uh, something that I wanted to, um, to be able to replicate as I moved my company forward, um, which is why I chose ultimately to create Whitewater Consulting in a way that um, allows me to I guess the best way to describe it would be as I put together a hub and spoke system, meaning that I'm the, as a consultant, I'm the hub of the organization. So I'm working directly with the client where we identify their gaps and their mm -hmm. issues. And then I use my network that's made up of about 35 different companies. And I've known these companies for 10 or 20 to between 10 and 20 years. And we've been able to develop relationships so that I introduce them into my clients to be the solution provider. And so it really allows mm -hmm. me to be able to bring, you know, people and organizations to my clients that are what, trusted and vetted so that the client is getting the best resources available. And then I, then I manage that relationship by meeting with my clients on a quarterly basis to make sure that services are going well. And then we also kind of look into the future, the next 90 to 180 days to see what additional uh, projects they're going to be working on to see if there's opportunities to plug more of my network into that relationship to help them solve those problems for the future. Right. Um, and I just have a question is your job is mainly focused on consulting and on giving advice and all, if I'm correct. Um, would you say your job is mainly focused on the psych mm, on psychology yeah. or would it be mostly focused on a side perspective of um, 
human understanding mm-hmm. emotions, which is yeah. so, so what's really interesting that I mean, I love the question because I was just having this conversation a couple mm-hmm. weeks ago with another business coach. And the, the truth is, when you look at leadership today, there is tons of books, there's uh, videos, all of this information mm. is out on how to mm. become a, a good leader. Yep. When in reality, what we really need is we need to be able to take a step back and f- understand or start to focus on how do we go about understanding people right. so from, a, from a psychology perspective, as well as, mm. you know, understanding how people tick and, and understanding what, what we need to do as leaders to be able to get the most from our people. Uh, and it used to be that it used to be the carrot and the stick or the command and control method is the way that we led our people. And today it's about coming alongside and not being a, a, a manager or a boss, but it's about being a coach, understanding mm-hmm. that person and being able to help get the best out of them is what we're really should be focused on today. And when I look back at sports, you take all the major sports stars. I look in, from the U.S. You look at Michael Jordan. You know, you look at um, some of the best baseball players in the world. They've all got their they've got their mm-hmm. individual coach that they work with. So if they need coaches to help them sharpen their skills and, and stay at their best, you know, as entrepreneurs and as leaders, we need the same thing. Right. You were talking about uh, valuing people, understanding people, making people feel important. And that is such an important part of communication. Uh, you probably know the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Great book. I, yes. I highly recommend it to, to our audience. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's the top book for communication, man. And, and, and one of the, one of the parts in the book, uh, talk about, um, making the other person feel important. And that's just like what you were saying. And that's also how you, how you can make a deal and how you can have effective communication. It's just making the other person feel important, like being interested in the other person. Uh, can you comment more on, on the book, how to win friends and influence people and how it is such an important book in your job also in HR? Yeah, I think that, I mean, I think that, you know, when you're trying to, you know, influence, you know, whether you're trying to get people to buy into your vision or, or to buy into your influence, I really, I kind of come back to what I call the five C's of leadership. And the five C's of leadership are start off with connection, meaning from Mm -hmm. a business owner, from a leader, we have to be able to connect with our people. And when you think about it from a personal life, how do we go about connecting with, with our friends and with our family? It's by spending time with them. It's by talking with mm-hmm. them. It's by listening to them and asking questions. And so I think that as, a, as we look at the, the five C's and connection being the first, it's not just connection with our employees, but it's also connection with our stakeholders within the company. It's with connecting with our customers or our clients, our vendors, and our community leaders, because those are all key pieces to our sphere of influence. Um, and so connection is really, really important for being able to get to know people, not just at, as the employee, but who the, is that person from an individual and who, who are they, what's important to them? So connections first. Second 
is all about commitment. Um, because since 2020, so much has changed in the small work business world that we have to really take a step mm-hmm. back and look at our mission, our vision, our value statements, and make sure that we are that they are still true today and that we can fully commit to them. And then our people, our people mm-hmm. need to know that we as leaders, that we, we have their back, the, you know, not just in the good times, but also in the challenging times. And so you have connection, commitment, and then third is care. How we go, we need to be able to care for our people. We need to be able to care for our company and be able, able to do what is right for our clients, those type of things are really, you know, important to not only the the health of the organization, but also as a business owner, it has a major impact on the health of our relationships at home. Uh, so they they have a way of connecting to there. And then fourth is being able to um, remain curious. Uh, because as a leader, we never reach that destination of we know everything. We have to be able to remain open-minded. And when we do that, it creates opportunities for questions to surface. It creates opportunities for innovation, for new ways of thinking, um, for new ways of, you know, new policies and, and procedures and just ways of doing things differently that will have a positive impact on the company. And then the fifth C is all about communication. And the fifth C is what really binds the other four together. And again, it's not just from talking It's more about listening um, and asking those questions of our people. And when you do all of those things, your people feel valued. They feel like they're being heard and they feel respected. And that's where you get, you buy, when that happens, you start to see loyalty come into play. And you also see the employee uh, engagement levels begin to increase, meaning that you're getting more from your people um, and they're becoming more productive. That leads to greater company culture and it also leads to greater financial results yeah i mean that's so true like the like you were saying connection commitment care community communication they're the five most important c's um so for you you'd say that though that's like a slogan for your for white uh, water consulting would that be correct it, it really is that that really comes back to the foundation of, of the work that we do. And, and, and it's, just, it's a great starting point for, for every business owner and leader that we talk with. And talking about these five C's, um, you've worked with many various like midsize companies. Um, what were some like common mistakes uh, you observed as HR uh, in pra- HR practices? Sorry. Um, and how can businesses rectify or avoid them? You know, I think that, um, first of all, from the business owner level, uh, oftentimes, particularly as, as men, we want to wear a mask. That mask that we wear basically is saying that we have all of our stuff together. Mm-hmm. We don't have any problems. And if we do, we know exactly how to go about fixing it. Mm-hmm. And I think COVID actually really uh, brought and put a spotlight on the fact that there is a lot that's out of our control. Um, and so it really kind of brought back the importance of being authentic, being transparent, um, and then also just being vulnerable. And sometimes, mm. you know, the word vulnerable is something that people's like, I can't, I can't be vulnerable with my people. They would never stay with the company if I was that away. But it doesn't mean what, what, when I say vulnerable, that means you share enough information to, to promote understanding. Mm. And then you can, you don't, you don't have to bear and, and share every story that's in your, in your cupboard. Um, but I think that, you know, that is 
kind of where a lot of the leadership comes in, you know, starts then where the challenges come in is really around the biases that we have. Um, and that's where it kind of feeds back into HR compliance with the way that we see people, the way that we may judge somebody based on what we see versus actually getting to know that person. And an example of this would be, you know, because of uh, the impact of COVID, we have started seeing a shift toward remote work. Mm -hmm. When you look at the people that are that are really, really passionate about remote work, a lot of times it is people that have maybe are, uh, for example, stay at home moms or who, who have been stay at home moms, um, which means that a lot of times it's, it's women that have been out of the workforce. If there's an opportunity where they can have remote work and not have to leave their home to do the work, they may come back in and become an active participant in the workforce. Same thing from a minority standpoint, a lot of time the minorities, you know, they they need to be able to stay at home and to be able to work from home. And that's perfectly fine. But where the bias comes into play is that as managers, because we don't see them on a day in and day out basis, we feel like they're not being as productive. So a lot of times they can be overlooked when it comes to company promotions. And so those are, that's a real key area right now mm. that we're looking at because we're seeing this happen over and over within organizations and it's, it's creating liability for them. So, it, I mean, the, the reality is we have to find a way as, as business leaders to be able to manage and measure productivity from both in office as well as for those working remote so that we can look at things objectively. Correct. Um, now you were talking about uh, with the confinement and all, it led to new technologies like you were saying. I like to ask a question regarding the future of work. How do you see the intersection of the automation of AI um, and human resources evolving and what role do you believe HR professionals will play in this transformation in the future? Will it be needed or? <laughs> it absolutely. It absolutely is going to be needed. Now, what's right. going to be really interesting is to see how how it is adopted, uh, because in today's world, you have a business leader that is very much they want to continue to operate their business as they have for the last three decades. The reality is business fundamentals have changed in the last three years. And so if we don't make that pivot now we're going to get left behind and that's where i think i think that within um hr specifically and ai that we're going to there are repetitive tasks for example when when you hire for a position and you receive a hundred resumes or a hundred applications ai is going to be able to look at those documents and 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 basically be able to determine which ones are the right fits and which ones should be eliminated immediately and so there and, and in addition to that, then, even from an onboarding standpoint, there's repetitive task in that part of the process that AI is going to be able to have a key role in, as well as performance management as well. So there is a lot of opportunity that AI is going to be able to have a big impact on small and mid-sized companies and on specifically the HR team. What we really don't know is honestly, there's just not a lot of clarity in that in that uh question at this point. So it's really hard to be able to give guidance on specifically how's HR going to impact a business? Because again, every company is a unique 
it's a unique being. So we can't measure that on a one size fits all basis. It's going to be on a per case. Looking for the perfect clothing piece to rock this summer or winter, no matter where you are in the world? Look no further than Valio Verdi. With a true embodiment of European fashion, their garments should define elegant through meticulous craftsmanships and premium materials. Plus, enjoy global shipping within two weeks. And here's a special treat. Use code BSUCCESS10 for an exclusive 10% off your first order. Get ready to embrace fashion that tells a story with Valio Verdi, your style knows no boundaries. The link in the description below. And we're back. Uh, now, Chuck, my question is, when we look at like the talent acquisition and the retentions are critical, right, for the success of like any organization, can you like share some like some innovative and some effective approaches that like businesses um can adopt uh to like attract and retain like the top talent they can possibly get yeah that is a key area i just uh, earlier this year from uh, january to march did i interviewed just over 1200 businesses in the u.s oh, wow. uh, and talent acquisition and retention is like at the very top of the list as far as their greatest challenge that they have right now and so, you know, some things that we can look at to help differentiate ourselves <clears throat> is it really have to understand what are the employees, what are the some of the key things that they're focused on. And some really, if you look at the top three or four items, first mm -hmm. of all, it's compensation. Second is quality of the employee benefits. Mm -hmm. Third is going to be focused in on the company culture. And fourth is going to be flexibility with work. Right. And so when you look at those key things, those four things specifically, a lot of that comes back to leadership. So when we're looking about how we go about attracting and retaining our key people, um, it really comes back to starting with, let's take a look at the company website. You know, what is the message that mm -hmm. the applicants are able to see from that website? Are there videos on the website that speak to the culture of the organization? And what, you know, what are the values of that organization? Are those front and center on your website so that people can see that? Um, and then from there, you know, we really look at what is the, the applicant experience. Uh, and in other words, uh, oftentimes the, the process, the interview process can be four or five interviews and it can be scattered out over a couple of months. Well, the reality is if you're doing that, you're probably not going to be winning much talent because they are looking at multiple opportunities at the same time. So we need to shorten that cycle up and make sure that we're doing things efficiently. And then the next thing is the onboarding process. The onboarding process is not something where you just give your employees a set of forms and say, here, complete this. And then you get them plugged into you know the work that they're going that they were hired to do it's about again helping them connect with the people within the organization and and really having clarity on that process on all right once we get the forms done now let's have a essentially a mentor or a buddy mm -hmm. system to where you're connecting with somebody internally within the organization to go to lunch with to have somebody you can talk to and ask questions about how to you know do certain things within the within the company and so it's 
it's a ongoing, usually right now is probably a 30 to a 90 day process when you onboard somebody new into your organization. If you don't do that, you're going to, you're going to have people that are going to be looking and spending time looking for another opportunity within the first 30 days of being on board. So those mm-hmm. are just a few ideas that you can really focus in on to help improve your, uh, the results of your talent acquisition and retention. Right. Well, I mean, failure without failure, it doesn't like if, sorry, if the leader doesn't uh, understand what failure is, he won't understand what he is and who he is. Because as we were saying before, failure is what forms someone and it it's what makes someone understand what life is all about. That moves on to my question of, was there a moment where doubt filled your mind in a career change was involved? Or vision, sorry. Yeah, I think there's been many moments of doubt along mm-hmm. the way. Um, how we deal or how we re- how we respond to doubt is what's really uh, important. Right. Um, I think that um, again, this is an area where your your personal life or your professional journey, uh, both of those are not meant to do alone. You need to have somebody in your corner mm-hmm. that you can. Uh, be able to share those moments with they can be there to encourage you when you have those moments of doubt or um, they can be there to be that guardrail to, to keep you safe that's one of the reasons from an entrepreneur from my own personal journey as well as from my clients uh, entrepreneurial journey i'm a big believer in uh, peer groups so you look mm-hmm. at organizations yep. like like vistage in the u.s or or they're, they're international um but there's multiple peer group organizations, you know, around the world. I believe in today's world, it's almost it's imperative that you that you're a part of a group like that because that's where you can get really great counsel and feedback and be able to have a sounding board to bounce ideas off of um, to help you know minimize or mitigate that that risk and also maximize your, the opportunity and and the uh, you know the impact that you can have. Right, that's really inspiring um, regarding the peer group. I really, um, I didn't think of the peer group. That's really good. That makes me think also of uh, another question I wanted to ask you, which which could be applied to the professional life, but also personal life. Um, you probably know the, the, the book, uh, Think and Grow Rich from Napoleon Hill. It's a great book. And one of the main points there is having a mastermind group. How... Was having a mastermind group important in your success and how do you think it needs to be in in in, in somebody's uh, journey and success because it is really important to have a mastermind group? Yeah, I think that, I mean, I think that I would probably in some ways use the mastermind and the peer group um, as in very similar ways because, again, you've got... I, the, the masterminds that I've been a part of have been made up of individuals that are very like-minded. Um, they may be in different industries or being, you know, doing different things uh, from a, from a career standpoint. But um, you know, a lot of times uh, I use my mastermind a lot of times to be able to bounce ideas off of, or to, to do uh, joint uh, webinars or seminars, things like that. Um, but I think that, again, the mastermind is something that's really, my experience has been, it's really about just having that, again, 
the the areas of expertise that's needed and to be able to draw from, you know, whenever I have a specific need. So within my mastermind, I've got somebody that's involved in business development. I've got somebody that is a career coach. I've got somebody that is a strategic coach. Um, and so depending on what my needs are, I can go to them and get different resources that I would have available to me. And that's, it's invaluable whenever I have that need. Okay, right. So this was all a really interesting discussion. This part more about business, and now I'll move on to our next important part of of the podcast, where we talked more about self improvement and and simply be, being a better person, both professionally and personally. And I would like to to start by asking you what would be the one thing of the one skill that you would tell the one tip that you would tell your 15 year old or 20 year old self. I think that, um, that one thing that I, particularly as I look at where the world is today, and as we look going forward, mm -hmm. um, that one skill that is really going to be needed by a leader is going to be emotional intelligence. Oh yeah, that's good. Uh, so being able to be yeah. aware of your emotions and being able to see how in certain cases you are basically projecting your emotions onto somebody else, I think are things, you know, we have to be able to understand, again, understand ourselves, but also be able to understand people. And, and to be able to do that, emotional intelligence is going to be a key piece. And I think that that factors into going back to the five C's that factors into how we and often, oftentimes how we go about communicating. As a HR and author, what practices uh, or habits have you personally adopted that have contributed like majorly or significantly to your growth and professional life? So believe it or not, for many, many years, I was not a reader. Oh. Um, I absolutely hated, I hated investing or spending the time to read a book. I felt like in many cases, that it was a waste of time by doing mm -hmm. so. I have found over uh, the last handful of years that uh, reading is something that is not only it, it is it fills my tank up every day whenever I do that. So I think from a per professional development and personal development, even the, becoming a reader um, and committing to to always be able to learn and to grow. Um, are really things that I've been focused on here over the years. The, the other third piece to that is, is also the, uh, the idea of journaling and journaling from a perspective of a, a, a gratitude from gratitude. You know, oftentimes as we do life or we get involved in business, we get, have a tendency to just focus on the negatives or the, the things where we had the failings or made the mistakes. The reality is if we stop and look around, there are so many things, we have so many things that we should be positive or be grateful for. And it's being able to shift that mindset to, to focus on those things that allow you to really get excited and be energetic when you hit the floor the next day. So mm. those are probably three things that I've, you know, have, that have contributed to, um, to not only the personal success that I've enjoyed, but really the personal fulfillment that's come from um, the work that I do. Right, you were previously talking about uh, emotional intelligence. I think that's a really interesting point. 
and it is really important in relationships and communication. Could you develop more on that and tell our audience more what is emotional intelligence? So I would say that the, the one tool that I use that, and one book that I highly recommend um, to the listeners is a book called The EQ Deficiency. Mm. And The EQ Deficiency is uh, a book that is, it, it really, in a lot of ways, it changed my perspective, changed my uh, the way that I communicated and the way that I built relationships. Um, and again, I think part of this, it's just, I've been on a real journey over the last, probably the last 10 years. And that's where emotional intelligence started to really surface and, and play a key role for me probably about five years ago. Um, and, and part of it had to do with the reading of that book. Uh, but then as we move forward again, I think that as we look at leadership, we, I think in many ways we try to, we overcomplicate the changes that need to happen. Because if we bring it back to just being human, back to that role, um, I think is really what it's all about. And, you know, again, from emotional intelligence, you know, understanding what it is that triggers us. I don't know about where you all live, but I can tell you that in the U.S., that when you turn on the television or the radio, everybody as a, in, in almost every area, we are divided. It's, it's us versus them, whether you're talking politics, whether you're talking religion, I That's mean, so whether you're true. talking sports event, college teams, what, mm -hmm. it's just everybody's divided. And so we all have certain things that trigger emotions within us and being having understanding of what those triggers are and then going deeper and understanding why they are a trigger is really, I think is really important. And that helps us get to really know who we are and realize, you know, it helps us identify ways that we can learn and grow personally that will have a greater impact on the way that we can lead our people, whether it's our families or whether the way we lead our teams at work. But we have to recognize that those decisions and the way that we communicate and the way that we behave creates ripples and those ripples go wide. It's not okay. just doesn't just impact us. It impacts lots and lots of people. Right. Would you say you have a, uh genuinely would you say you adopt a work-life balance um and if you do how do you manage and have a work-life balance right i think work-life balance is obviously that's a buzzword that is uh used uh, in, uh, around the world probably yeah. um i mm, i think it that, is. um in today's world i think i look at it more like work-life integration um I do think one thing, one key difference between the generations that I find is really interesting is from the baby boomer generation and probably even the Gen X, our world really focused around work and then we did life yeah. and we found ways where we could do life and we plugged that in in just certain areas. Uh, or, you know, or we plugged it in around the work that we did. So that became our real identity. When you look at the younger generation, they are, they are focused on this is my life and work is going to be a piece and it's yeah. going to have to fit into this. And if it doesn't fit, <laughs> we'll go someplace else and we'll find out, you know, we'll find that place where we can fit it in. And I think that it creates a much more, it creates a healthier life over the long term because you don't have all of these other challenges that a lot of the older, you know, baby boomers and Gen X are, are going through. Uh, and I think that it, it's one that you see in today's world, you see so much burnout 
That's so true. And, and I think part of that is we have been so busy trying to climb the ladder to success that we didn't even really understand what success was. And so I think that's, again, there's a difference in the way that the generations define success. That um, our, our my success for a long time was all about how much money can I earn? How much money can I have? You know, everything was based on what I had in my investments or in my bank account. When I look at younger generations, specifically, I look at my kids right now, you know, their focus is it's all about the experiences. Uh, I'll take 20% less in, in income if I can have flexibility in the way that I work, where I work and be able to enjoy and, and to travel. So th there's some really key differences there that really lead to, you know, that work-life balance. And for me, the one way that I've gone about doing that is I block my calendar. I block, um, I don't take the seven o'clock appointments in the morning. I don't take the seven o'clock at night appointments mm. any longer. My, my schedule starts up until 8.30 in the morning. It's my time. And after basically 4.30 in the afternoon, it's my time. Exactly. So that's how we go about doing that. So we have to set boundaries. Exactly. You need to maintain work-life balance, being able to manage personal life and professional life in one single day. But that brings back to the burnout question, the rat race. Do you believe in it? Because... We live now in a society where everyone just wants to work, make as much, much money as they want, and they don't realize that they're being manipulated by the government and in some way like that. Yeah, I think that, um, again, that comes back to the setting of boundaries. Um, right. And I think that that's one of the things that we have seen a, a major shift in, again, since the pandemic has been the way that we work. Um, people are just mm -hmm. not willing to drive that hour you know, mm -hmm. commute to get to work and then the hour home. They would rather you know, find another place that's going to give them more of that balance. Um, but I think also from a business owner perspective, we have to look at this and we have to recognize that the importance of that. And so we, if we want to attract and retain high performing people, we have to be able to, to respect those boundaries that they have. Meaning from a burnout perspective, we don't, as, as a business owner, I don't need to send an email at seven o'clock at night and expect mm -hmm. a response from you immediately. I have to recognize that when you go <laughs> home, that is your, that is your personal time. And it, it's okay if you don't respond to that until the next morning. Another thing is, is in the U.S. before the pandemic, we left over 700 million days of unused PTO um, mm -hmm. on the books. And so as business owners, I think that if we want to really, if we're really concerned about the, the health of our, of our employees, we need to be encouraging them to take those PTO days and to be able to, in some cases, we even need to go as far as to model that, what that looks like to our people, mm -hmm. meaning when they go on vacation, they don't have their cell phone or they don't use their cell phone for work. They don't mm -hmm. respond to, to work emails. And, and, and again, there's not an expectation that, that those people are going to be checking email during that, that week that they're gone. Mm -hmm. I've got some of my clients that have actually gone so far as to set up like many teams within their departments to where they are, their, their team that is still engaged and still working are actually monitoring the inbox for the employee that is on the, on PTO so that when they come back, they don't have 200 emails to have to respond to. Everything's been taken care of when they get back. Right. Um, we are talking about uh, work-life balance. Um, 
And I wanted to know more concretely how you balance and how you integrate work and your more personal life. Do you do any sports on the side? Edison and me, we uh, we both uh, play golf and do lots of other sports, and it helps us a lot. And not only with school, but also in our um, separate ventures. It just clears your mind. Do you also do sports or certain type of activities or hobbies? So I used to play golf. I used to play golf a couple of times a week. Um, great. Great. Oh, great, great. My, my challenge was I have a, uh, I had an injury a few years ago that prevents me from playing golf any longer. Mm-hmm. I can chip and putt. Oh. I just can't drive. Uh, that's my biggest challenge. Oh. So you can buy, you can buy, the, the games you know, you can buy the no swing, like golf club thing. <laughs> I heard Rick Shields tested it last time. It was so funny. No, I would, I, I do good on, in, in a scramble, uh, where, uh, I've got guys that can drive, uh, but then, you know, I can chip and putt and, uh, still have a pretty good touch when it comes to that. So, uh, but you know, so again, golf used to be one of my outlets that I had, uh, Outside of that, though, um, I'm a big, I'm a fanatic whenever it comes to uh, running. So I, I run running. every every day. Oh yeah, I love it. Just running. helps kind of it helps me set so get my mind clear and also helps me get prepared for the day. Um, so we, I will typically start the day mm-hmm. with a like a, a three to a five mile run, and then I end the day with about a two mile mm-hmm. walk. So that's kind of how I go about doing that. Um, but again, you know, those are. Those are the kinds of things that we really do focus on. But I'm a huge believer in setting boundaries and 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 giving because of where I work. I work from my home office, and my wife also works from her home. I works from our home as well, so she has permission to come at you know five o'clock. If I'm not out of my office, she has permission to come, open the doors, and and you know let me know that it's time to come out so otherwise otherwise i'm i can be a workaholic and i'll stay in the office until every you know all my work is done and and it, why not <laughs> i mean why not sometimes I mean, you just yeah. have things to do yeah i know it, it's a matter of uh of, it, it comes back balance. to the work-life balance and, and the values that i have and so you know we're, we're we are really fortunate because we have three kids and we also they all have are married and they've got their own kids so when my grandkids show up here, mm-hmm. um, my work stops and I go out and spend time with them while they're here. Yeah, so obviously. Yeah, it's truly incredible. I want to come back to your running. So you every morning as your work-life balance do three to five mile. I exactly, I'm trying to adopt that running phase. I've been doing running with some friends and we it's good to um, keep uh, each other good pace. Um, so you do three to five miles. So for our audience in Australia and all around the world, three to five miles is about uh, and French people to too. Six k, yes, six five to six kilometers. Uh, like they say, the Americans, what is a kilometer? But anyway, <laughs> we um, the Europeans say, what the hell is a mile? <laughs> But anyway, so running for you would be that main thing because of your hip. Um, would you implement any other, like, do you have any I'd routines say, um, where you put well, other yeah. things? Like, do you have routine, any morning yeah. routine, evening routine, where you implement other things, and how do you just that having a routine? So my yeah. re- my re- my daily routine is is I, whenever I run, I usually have a, a podcast on. So I'm usually listening to a podcast yeah. during that time. Uh, whenever I get back from that, I usually spend about fifteen to twenty minutes in a quiet time, 
uh, for me personally, faith is yeah. really important. So that's something that, uh, that I yeah. practice every day. And then again, the, the other practice that I do is at the end of the day, um, whenever I, after I can, my last task of each day for work is really to look at what I have coming up on the following day. But that last yeah. piece that I do is, um, is when I enter my, my, my journal for the, for the, uh, the gratitude journal. So I basically start my day with uh, clearing my mind and I do my, at the very end, really focus on those things that I'm, yeah. I'm grateful for. Yeah, but it's true that it's really important to be grateful for you, what you have, but also hope for more, but always need to be grateful for what you, for what you already have or you won't get anything else i mean it's it's yeah go ahead i i i have spent many years of life uh trying to learn how to be content uh because i've just the way that i'm wired i just i i want to go and i want to work and i want to i want to do more um but at some point uh, as mm-hmm. as a as a uh, coach uh commented to me many years ago he said would you get to your deathbed you're not going to be wishing you spent more time at the office. Um, and so that really hit me because uh, when I think about it, uh, it, whether I'm at work today or whether I'm not, um, you know, a hundred years from now, it's not going to matter one bit, but the lives you touch, the impact that you make, uh, that's what's really important. What are you grateful yeah, for? Oh gosh. So I started, I mean, I'm, I'm grateful. Yeah. Obviously I'm grateful for personally for my family that I have for the wife that I have that I've been married to for coming up on 39 years. I'm grateful for, for my kids. I'm grateful for my eight grandkids that I have. Uh, but I'm also extremely grateful for my clients that I have and for the opportunity that they've given me to work with them and to be a resource for them. So those are just, a, I mean, a few of the things, obviously, when I look at the, my, the coaches and the mentors I've had over the years, every one of them has contributed to, you know, in an invaluable way into my life. So I'm grateful for that. And what are the key lessons you've learned in your career that have contributed to your personal growth and personal success? That every day, I mean, I, the reality is every day is a gift um, and, and how we respond and what we do with that time is really mm-hmm. is a choice that we have. Um, and it kind of goes back to a little bit of a morbid way to look at this, but when you look at the, at a tombstone, you have two dates on there that your date, you were born, the date you die, that dash in the middle, that's Mm -hmm. what's really important. What did you do with that dash? And, and that's really Mm -hmm. kind of where my focus comes back. One of the, one of the things I took away Mm -hmm. from my, my, uh, moments and chapter in the Valley was that I didn't need to be a president and a CEO of a company. My real calling and real fulfillment came from connecting and being able to serve and to support uh, business owners. And I believe in Zig Ziglar's comment, his uh, statement that says, if you help enough people get what, what they want, you will get what you want as well. And so from that personal you know, journey of helping business owners achieve greater success and, and a life of significance, it has helped me achieve that same thing, a life of significance. Okay. You previously, uh, you previously talked about at the beginning of a podcast about knowing who you are. 
that is something really important is that taking the time to think and see really who you are what are your values what do you want in life what are your goals can you develop more on on the importance of knowing who you are and it's it's the crucial part it it plays in being in success because most people don't really take the time to think about who they are yeah we don't really take the time until we get uh, maybe a little bit further down the road of life and then we find ourselves in counseling uh talking with a counselor about how, how we were raised you know things that happened to us when we were young yeah. um you know whether it's you know tick oftentimes it's it's just um you know there's baggage that kind of comes along with life and i think that being able to understand who you are and what again what is it that brings you the, the greatest joy what is it that brings you fulfillment versus what is it that really triggers the emotion of that really infuriates me uh, and why is that uh, those are the kinds of things that we often don't figure out until we get to be in our oftentimes into our 30s and sometimes even into our 40s one of the things that that i've seen over the last couple of years um, is i've 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 not i've seen and i've also heard uh, the younger generation and when i say younger i'm talking about people in their 20s that have felt like that they had essentially no more to contribute to the world or to give to life when they were but as they were approaching 30 because they had done all that they could they had nothing else left to give and when i when i embrace my heart when i hear that comment because when i think about that in today's world when you're even when you're 30 you're essentially you're about a third of the way through life so when i look at things from a yeah. from a baseball game perspective baseball game you're basically in the third inning of a nine inning game meaning you still got two thirds of your of the game left to play. Right. And so for people to feel like they don't have anything more to give that life's over with when they're 30 and, and you're in the third. It's, it's really, it's unfortunate to see that. And so that's been one of my missions, mm -hmm. you know, since over the last couple of years is to help people realize that my goodness, we, first of all, everybody that's 30, they've got a lot of life ahead of them Two, They've all got wonderful gifts that this world needs and three they can be they can be believe it or not they can be a coach or an encourager to somebody else that really needs to hear from them yeah and so i just i want to just encourage you i mean I, you both are so young uh, but i also want to just take the opportunity from a younger generation particularly gen z and the, and the millennial generation to really focus on the fact that you know there are people that are in their 40s and 50s, 60s, 80s, 90s, as we just talked about early on. My wife's yeah. grandmother was 101. Uh, there are things that all the way up until you take that last breath, there are things mm -hmm. you can bring value to this world and you are a value. So people need to know who you are and be able to hear you. Yeah, people are shocked by our age. When they when they discover us and discover our age, you're like, you're that 
young. You're, you're 15. <laughs> like you're doing all of this already. Like people that I know, like they're not doing anything at their age. Yeah, they're I mean, doing... it's true, but we should actually start to use it as a marketing technique because we actually know no, people are not supposed to know we are actually 15. But now, <laughs> for the last couple of episodes, you have been starting to talk more about our age. I mean, the so... first one we did. Yeah, but, so I think we'll 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 put that out that we're actually two teenagers on this mission <laughs> and it may actually be, be good for marketing oh it would be for not. sure for sure I, I, I've, I've actually got a couple of uh, a couple of podcast hosts here in the states and i would be happy to introduce you guys to oh yeah, uh, yeah that'd be great, that'd be I, great. One, I, one of the guys is, is probably about 30 ish but he's probably mm -hmm. i think he's got about a hundred and uh, maybe 110 episodes out right now mm. Oh, he's wow. he's a solid guy. He got you guys would love talking with him. I mean, yeah. it would be great if you could put us in contact. We'll stay in with, contact yeah. with people that have podcasts and also people that would be interested on in being on, on our show. Sure. Now, let, thank you. Now, let me get back to <laughs> to to what you were saying. It is it is totally true. It is a great point. Um, and and I wanted to ask you one last question, and then Addison will continue um about uh, you talked uh, at the beginning about having an accountability partner in in having you in 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 achieving your goals um could you talk more about how you set your goals and how you enforce them with for example accountability partners so what, what our approach has been is uh, I'm, I'm a huge believer in you know short-term goals but i'm also and I love to look at things from the long-term perspective because I guess part of me with the, with the way that I'm made is when I think about investments, uh, I'm not trying to make a decision based on the price of the stock today. I'm looking at what's that, what kind of values are going to return to me over the next three years, next five years, 10 years. Yeah. So when I go, when I start thinking about goals, um, I start with kind of the, what do I want? Stephen Covey said, begin with the end in mind. And that's ultimately yeah. kind of where I start. So I start at the really high level and I and really kind of get clarity on what I want that end goal to be. And then from there, I back things right. back down into really almost not necessarily to a monthly goal, but really more so for me at this point to a quarterly goal. So for every three months, we reevaluate that. Um, however, there are certain activities that I do from a business perspective that um, – the business activity generates business opportunity, which generates revenue. And so a lot, I track the activity that I do on a weekly basis. Um, and then I have a coach that I, that I meet with once a month mm -hmm. and we review not only the, what we've done over the previous 30 days, but we also look at, you know, what kind of progress have we made toward the quarterly goal to the annual goal to the three-year goal. And so that's really mm -hmm. one that, um, you know, that's kind of been what I've done. I, I've had multiple coaches along the way. Um, and right now I've, I've, I've actually, a couple of years ago, I actually had a team. We had five, five other people that kind of made up the team and they kind of served as my board of directors ultimately as well. But that was one that getting multiple perspectives. Uh, there were some pr positives that came from that, but ultimately I brought it back down to really just having a coach. So I had one 
because that's where I wanted that relationship and I wanted them to feel comfortable in really looking at things very objectively and giving me their perspective and their insight. Um, I didn't want them sugarcoating anything. I wanted them to be as direct as they felt like they needed to be uh, to get their point across and to really, you know, challenge me. And so with that, um, you know, those, that's kind of the process that we have right now. Right. Um, there's a good quote that I really like um, by uh, Matthew McConaughey. He says, the older you get, the more rules they're going to try to get you to follow. You've got to keep living, man. L-I-V-R-N. It's a really good <laughs> quote because it just signifies how much, um, like, you know, uh, you got to keep living. You just, you don't just stick on something. You know, like, okay, sorry. I'm just trying to figure out, like, an example. Like, you got a, a math problem. And you're doing a test if you're stuck on a problem don't just stay stuck there you just got to keep doing the other question you just got to keep living would you implement that quote yeah i definitely would because again <clears throat> i think life is much more it's, it's more than just work mm -hmm. so when you get when you get stuck on a task or on a issue at work, <clears throat> sometimes the best thing you can do is actually get your golf clubs to go play golf. Oh, I 100% agree. <clears throat> it, it, it completely clears up your mind. And what I have found over the years is whenever my wife and I like to travel, mm -hmm. so we, we will go away. So our schedule is set up for this year. Mm -hmm. We do 90 day sprints. So we do three months, but then we go on vacation. Mm -hmm. When I go, when we go on vacation, I get rested, I get refreshed. But the amazing thing is, I don't think about work, but it's the ideas and the solutions that come from that time while I'm essentially in my, what I call my nothing box. <laughs> um, yeah, when I get in that and all I'm doing is just looking out over the water, mm -hmm. the, the ideas and the thoughts just continue to peaceful. It, it surfaces though. And I come back with a list of things that I need, that I can do and things that I can implement to solve problems. And so it's just, I, I think that, Oftentimes I'm one, I want, I'm a grinder. So I want to just sit here at the computer and I just want to work and work and work until I get the problem solved. Whereas I've found again in over the years, mm -hmm. if I would just get up and go for a walk or just get up and, and get a break, the, the answers and the solutions will come to me much easier. And so I think that's something that, you know, as Matthew's talking about there mm -hmm. to be able to just keep living. Um, I think that's, is so, so true. And, and obviously he's got, he's got a great life. So, mm -hmm. um, I would certainly, uh, I would certainly encourage people to follow that, that advice. Well, we'll move on to the last part of the podcast. So this is the anecdote part where we ask you an anecdote question. So if you have, if you could share one of the funniest or most memorable moments you have along the journey, we are all is. Yeah. One of the funniest moments on the journey uh, from a personal perspective or from work? Uh, personal if possible or work also. What, from whatever anecdote. It, you can also share so it too. It's not a we problem. So, we, we have <laughs> a lot of time. We have all the time in the world. So what? So tell me, tell me about what were some of the other um, stories that you've heard? So from we've heard podcasts? first about, we start off with Christelle Damien, which is CEO of Exportia. And her story was that there was, she does exporting from Australia to European markets. And her story was that she had a, a client that she didn't really research on what he was wanting to ship across and ended up, she ended up finding that he was wanting to ship pigs like heads. 
So it was something like that. It was something regarding <laughs> pigs. And then, yeah, and then Sebastian so was yeah. that he was playing golf and his friend and him had PGA He's Professional Golf. PGA he golfer. stood up to, the fir- to a hole where they both had a shot where it was really close to the hole. And they had the same exact ball. Oh, yeah. The hole and in then one. they went up. And then one was in the hole, and then one was on like literally on the lip of the <laughs> hole, and they didn't know which one yeah, was who. They didn't so know they ended up getting who did a trophy the for, for the world's stupidest hole in one. And then um, <laughs> Alexis would get the time to do it. I don't remember Kurt. Um, do you remember it, Mal, by any chance? Uh, I don't remember it. Think? Remember it, Kurt, and then on the top of my head. Oh my gosh. Wasn't it about? I think it was about his mo- mountain property. Don't remember, or but that like was that. the. I think it was something about his house. Somewhere, those were the ones something. that, yeah. But yeah, those are the ones. An so, anecdote. Yeah. Like an anecdote, like a funny or like a really like entertaining one in some way. Uh, honestly, guys, I don't have a lot of that to, to really be able to share. Um, not that I can think of right off. I mean, that I can recall. So good. Uh, a, a lot of be, being in the HR world, mm-hmm. uh, it, there's a lot of stories that come along with, you know, really unfortunate things that have happened or you know, crazy things, but <laughs> nothing that is, uh, that's really humorous at all. Um, it doesn't need to be humorous. Well, actually. I mean, so for just a story that I would share. So I have had a client, um, they were a manufacturing company. They had about 70, almost 80 employees and we went into, um, to do an audit with an HR audit with them. And we identified some of the challenges that they had. Mm -hmm. And we, we showed them some things that they needed to do to be able to fix some of the forms that they had on their, from, that were uh, employee related forms. Mm -hmm. The, uh, before they could get the forms fixed, they were all, they received an audit from the federal government. Mm -hmm. And when they came in, the documents that they needed to fix, they had approximately 25 of their employees that were, they provided uh, illegal, false documents, yes. And so basically what happened there was, again, we went in, we, we, sh- we showed them what the issues were, and then they did not fix it immediately. And so then they got audited and they ended up those 20, about 20 of the employees, they had to let go uh, because they could not, because they didn't have legal documentation to be here. So it's just one of those, that's one of those unfortunate things that happened because, I mean, the reality is those, the people that were really impacted, they were just, I mean, they were individuals, they were, they were people, they were husbands, they were wives, they were moms, they were dads they were just trying to work and to be able to provide mm-hmm. and they lost that opportunity just making sure they had um they didn't yeah, so, so they got audited because they weren't from the country and because they came in the country to work is that correct they came into the country to work but they didn't have legal documentation to be here uh, right oh okay so they weren't illegal correct. immigrants yeah mm. Okay. I mean, like you were saying, so, yeah. like you were saying, they yeah. need to provide somewhere. Like in some countries, it's sad to see, like um, where they don't, like they're not able to provide for their families, so they've got to come into a country to be able to provide as much as they can with a big family. You know, right? 
exactly. And so it was just, that's one of those unfortunate stories that, you know, that we have probably one of the other, the, the other, um, I guess really probably the craziest story was we went into, into a company to do an, an audit and it was a safety audit. And as we were going through doing, doing the safety audit, there was two employees out in the plant that got into a, uh, physical, uh, altercation. Right. And, uh, one, uh, took a hammer and hit the, uh, and basically hit, they were supposed to both have hard hats on. Neither one had hard hats on <laughs> and the other one took a, took a, a hammer to the <laughs> other one. And, uh, it, it caused quite a uh, commotion there for a little bit, but there was a, uh, it was a good illustration of uh, the importance of safety and safety helmets. Uh, safety comes first. <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Thank you, Chuck, very, very much again for the opportunity you have given us, Mal and I, of learning about HR compliance, to writing your book, to the individual that have sh uh, shaped you. Uh, I think I uh, really enjoyed. Yeah, thank today. you very much. Well, thank th thank you for the opportunity, and if for for any of the listeners mm -hmm. that would like, um, I would I would invite you to uh, follow me or to uh, connect yep. with me yeah. on, on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's the best place to connect. Yep. Um, our website also is uh, whitewaterconsulting.net. And so you can learn you know, more about our organization, the work that we do, and, and yep. about me personally, uh, for those who would like to learn more. Yep, all that information's in the description below. So if you're interested Great. into Chuck Cooper's um, business of Whitewater Consulting, make sure to click the link in the description. As he said, connect with him on LinkedIn, and he will help you get the best out of your team. Again. Thank you very much, Chuck, for, for being on the podcast. It was a great pleasure. We learned a lot from your business and self-improvement. I'm sure you, the audience will take great pleasure in listening to, to we'll the podcast. We will uh, we'll probably release uh, the podcast next month. We will tell you more in, in an email, and we'll be delighted if you can then share with, with, uh, with your network on LinkedIn or people you know the, the podcast because the goal here is to provide the most value to the most people possible well, I, applaud I, I applaud both of you for uh, for, uh, for being the entrepreneurs and, and taking this uh, the initiative to, uh, to start up a podcast I think it's really cool and I think you guys have got you know, your future is extremely bright so good luck well thank you very much Chuck thank you very much have Chuck. a great evening thanks take care yeah.